0: A couple months ago, we took a spiritual selfie and we said, this is where I am right now. This is my before photo. And in three months, I'm going to be a different person. I'm going to study the Bible better, and I'm going to pray better, and I'm going to serve better. That's what we're talking about right now is our service to God, or rather our service to others. That when the Bible tells us to love people... The Bible doesn't focus on what love feels like, but what love looks like. And love looks like service. It looks like doing things for other people. And sometimes that can be hard. It depends on who it is, right? I mean, there's some people that they're easy to serve. They're easy to do nice, kind, good things for. And there are other people, it's hard. Can we be honest about that? It's hard to do nice things. For some people because of who they are or what they've done, maybe because of the thoughts that are conjured up when you're around them, maybe because of the people that they're associated with, maybe because of your history or your past with that person or that group of people. Some people are hard to serve, but Jesus promises us a life of transformation if we will follow him into this life of service. October 2006, a man by the name of Charles Roberts went into a one-room Amish schoolhouse in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and shot eight little girls. That same night, the families of those girls, after Charles Roberts had taken his own life, the families of those girls from the Amish community went to Charles Roberts' home to talk to his family, to his widow, and to his parents. Not to demand from them answers, not to vent their anger or bitterness or grief or rage, but to minister to his widow and his parents because they knew that family was, as hurt, was hurting as bad as they were. I pray that if I'm ever in a similar situation, if someone ever hurts my family, that I might have the strength, the spiritual fortitude to minister to the person or the family of the person who hurt my family. You see, because Jesus calls us to love our enemies. And love looks like Service. Love isn't a warm, fuzzy feeling that's in your heart. I don't know what those people were feeling as they went over and they ministered to that family. I don't know what was they were feeling in their heart, but they're human beings, and I know that they were suffering grief and loss. I know there had to be some anger there, but instead of venting that, they served. And I pray that I would have the strength in a similar situation to do a similar act of loving service. But let's face it, most of us will live the rest of our lives and never be in that type of a situation. Thankfully, we live in a country and in a world where that doesn't happen a whole lot. We see it on the news and it happens. It absolutely happens and it breaks our heart. There's horrible violence going on all over the world. But most of us live out our days pretty peacefully, right? Not getting shot at. Nobody wanting to take our life or the life of our family. Most of us may live the next 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years and never have to deal with a situation like that. But we do have to deal with people cutting us off on the freeway. We do have to deal with rude people in the supermarket. We do have to deal with relatives who are hateful. I just said relatives. Everybody laugh. <laughs> We do have to deal with relatives who are hateful and rude, say mean things. Maybe somebody told you you can't bring pumpkin pie this year because last year your pumpkin pie was horrible. I don't know. know. So we have to deal with people in our families. Maybe you go to school. Maybe kids, you go to school and you find out somebody's been talking bad about you behind your back. They've been spreading vicious rumors about you. Maybe that happens at work. Maybe there's somebody at work gunning for your job. Maybe you've got a boss who's out to get you. If Jesus expects us to love our enemies in extreme cases, if Jesus expects us to love our enemies in the extraordinary, don't you suppose Jesus expects us to love our enemies and the people that hate us in the ordinary, everyday circumstances we find ourselves in? He expects us to love the person on the freeway that's rude and doesn't know how to drive. He expects us to love the person in the supermarket and our cousin who said that about our pumpkin pie expects us to love the people who gossip about us and the boss who's out to get us and the coworker who's gunning for our job and love isn't about the feeling in your heart it's about the way that we serve and we're not saying don't have boundaries and we're not saying that that you can't speak what's true and it doesn't mean you don't tell people the truth but it means you find ways to love your neighbor And your brother, and your sister, and yes, even your enemy. And you say, yeah, but my cousin who said that about my pumpkin pie, I mean, she's not really my enemy. Then why are you treating her like that? Why are you treating her like she's your enemy? You say, that co-worker, I know he gossiped about me, but he doesn't really hate me. I know that. Then why are you treating him like he hates you? And even if he did hate you, and even if your cousin was your enemy, Jesus would expect you to love them. We're going to look at a passage in Romans. Now, but before we do, I want us to kind of think through who the Apostle Paul was, okay? Now, the Apostle Paul was, it's an extraordinary story, isn't it? Here was a person that when you read about him saying, love your enemies and feed your enemies and give a drink to your enemies, you think, well, maybe this Paul guy was just kind of a pushover. You know, maybe he was just kind of, you know, he was just that kind of a person. Far from it. The Apostle Paul was an incredibly violent human being. He, by his own admission, breathed out murderous threats against the church. He arrested, put into prison, and even had Christians murdered for their faith. But when he met Jesus, everything changed. When he met Jesus... Everything changed. And now Paul becomes not a person of violence, but a person to whom violence is done. In fact, one time in the book of Acts, we read that a conspiracy to murder Paul was uncovered. That there were 40 men who took a vow not to eat or drink anything until they murdered Paul. So Paul knew what it was to deal with people who hated him, and wanted to kill him. So when you read these words, understand that not only are these the words of the Holy Spirit who is speaking through the Apostle Paul, but these are words of a man who knows what it is to be hated, a man who knows what it is to be treated poorly, and a man for whom Jesus changed everything. The first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul goes through and tells us what exactly Jesus has done for his people and how he's brought together Jew and Gentile. He's brought together everyone into one body and is saving us together by his grace, by his mercy. And then in chapter 12, there's a hinge. And so Paul says, okay, therefore, because all this is true, because God has been so merciful and gracious to you, because you deserved, because you were God's enemies, you deserve the death penalty. You deserve death. But instead, you're receiving life through Jesus. And because that's true, he says, therefore, by the mercies of God, based on God's mercies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. This is your spiritual act of service or worship. or This is how you give yourself to God. And then Paul goes on to tell us what that looks like. Because it'd be easy, wouldn't it? You say, well, Jesus gave everything for you, so show up to church on Sunday mornings. Jesus gave everything to you, so say a prayer every day. Jesus gave everything for you, so so read your Bible every day. I mean, all those things are true, but it works itself out in how we treat each other. Not only each other in here, but each other out there. It works itself out in how you treat the person in the supermarket, how you treat the person on the freeway, how you treat the person at work, how you treat the person at school, how you treat the people who treat you the worst. This is where the gospel is worked out. Now listen to what he says. He says in verse 14 that was just read for us, bless those who persecute you. He said in verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. He says in verse 18, live peaceably with all but we're going to focus on 19 through 21 where he says this, beloved, never, it's a hard word, isn't it? Never. Beloved, never. Because, I mean, we're, we're excuse people, aren't we? I mean, I am. I don't know about you. I'm always looking for an excuse. I'm always looking for the exception to say, yeah, 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 I understand that, but, but when, when does that not apply? Never, never avenge Yourselves, But leave it to the wrath of God. You see, the Bible doesn't, and when I say the Bible doesn't, Paul doesn't, the Holy Spirit doesn't, Jesus doesn't pretend like there are no evil people in the world. There is evil in the world. Amen. There is horrible, atrocious evil in the world. There are people, and you just look at it and you think, how? How can you do that? And the Lord says, I will take care of it all. I will make everything all right. I will avenge. So don't avenge yourselves. For as it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary. And here's where it gets hard. He says, not only, not only don't avenge yourself, not only don't seek vengeance, but on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, Every time I've read this with a group of Christians, I mean, we're like, okay, uh, I'm not really sure about the whole feed him when he's hungry or give him something to drink when he's thirsty, but I like the sound of that heaping burning coals on the head thing. I don't know what that's about, but I like that. That sounds kind of neat. You know, I want to practice that. When do I get to do that? Let's talk about that. What does that mean to heap burning coals on his head? Now, again, if we're going to understand anything, we have to look at the context, don't we? And when we look at this phrase throughout the Bible, when we look at it here, Psalm 140 and verse 10 helps us to understand this is about, this is about judgment. God's judgment. And in fact, here I'll get a little bit nerdy for just a second, but you're so, Wes, you're always a nerd. But anyway, uh, this is a future tense verb. He says, you will heap burning coal, or you will heap up, some translations say, you will heap up. That's all one word in the Greek. And it's future. You will heap up. And it's indicative. It's not imperative. So in other words, it's saying, this is what will happen, not this is what you should do. When he says feed, that's an imperative. In other words, that's a command. When he says give a drink to, that's an imperative. That's a command. When he says, this is what will happen, that's indicative. It just means that's what's going to happen. When you feed your enemy. When you give your enemy a drink, in other words, when you serve your enemy who's in need, when you do good to those who do evil to you, when you help those who hurt you, you heap up judgment on their head, future judgment. Now, it's not that Christians want that person to be judged. We should take on a heart like Jesus a heart like the Lord who desires that that person who is doing wrong and who hates you, our desire should be for their salvation. And in fact, the more you serve them, the more you show them the love of Christ you know, the better their chance of repentance, right? You show them the love of Christ and someday they might say, what is it about these people? I just keep being mean to them and they keep being nice to me. I don't get it. That may happen, but it may not. See, we're not a pragmatic people. Paul isn't writing to say, hey, do this and they'll turn around. They'll be really good people. If you just be nice to them, they'll be nice to you. Maybe not. What might happen is you serve those who are mean and cruel and wrath and judgment. That's what the context says, right? Wrath and judgment, verse 19. Maybe that's what will come to them. Vengeance, wrath, judgment. Serving your enemies and doing good for them may result in their repentance and it may result in their judgment. Because the nicer you are to them and the meaner they are to you, the more, the more it becomes obvious who belongs to Jesus and who belongs to the world. In fact, you're participating in God's judgment by serving and loving and being kind Philippians chapter 1, verse 28 says, When you suffer for Christ, it's a clear sign. When you suffer for Christ, it's a clear sign of their destruction and your salvation. Serve them. Love them. Do good to them. That's the imperative. And when you serve your enemies, it is an exercise in trusting God. We say that again. When you serve mean, cruel, hateful people, it's an exercise in trusting God. You're not saying, hey, I'm going to be nice to them and maybe I'm going to manipulate them into being nice to me because eventually, sometimes you'll say, well, that just didn't work. I tried, Wes. I tried. I tried to be nice to them and it didn't work. God's commands never fail, church. They don't fail. It can't not work. Serve them. Love them. Be kind to them. If you have an opportunity to do something good for them, then do it. Not because you hope that it will turn them around. Maybe it will, and you do hope for that. But you do it because this is what we're being called to. And God will take care of everything else. God will take care of the judgment. God will take care of the wrath. God will take care of the vengeance. You don't have to worry about responding to them in kind. You just have to be kind. Look at verse 21. Two more questions I want to answer. Do not, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's two phrases there. One is do not be overcome by evil. What does that mean? What does it mean that when you're in a situation where there are mean, evil, cruel people, hateful people, and maybe to some lesser degree, but what's the... What's the meaning of you have to be careful that you're not overcome by their evil? Well, look at what the context says. It says things like, verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Verse 19, never avenge yourselves. You see, retaliation is being overcome by evil. When somebody is hateful to you and you're hateful back, you've been overcome by their evil. When somebody insults you and you insult them back, you've been overcome by their evil. When someone hurts you and you hurt them back in retaliation, you've been overcome by their evil. You've allowed their infection to spread to you. And the Lord says, do not be overcome by evil. See, even even death, even murder can't overcome us. Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Be afraid of the one who can cast both body and soul in hell. We can't be overcome by them unless, unless we stoop to that level. Unless their hatred elicits hatred from us. Unless their insults elicit insults from us. And I don't know if you're like me, but this is what sometimes happens to me. In the moment... I don't say anything. Somebody's rude to me. They say all kinds of things to me and and I just kind of seethe a little bit. I don't think very quick. Maybe that's part of it. And then I get home and I think, I should have said, I should have said this and I should have said that. I should have said this other thing. Man, this would have been a good comeback. Wait a second. Wait a second. No. No. If you, if you have a situation where somebody insults you and you don't insult them back, don't repent of that. Rejoice in it. Right? You're repenting of your good works. You're going home and you're saying, I should have been evil. I should have been overcome by their evil. Why? We do that, don't we? Go home and say, thank you, God, for letting me have the strength that I was not overcome by their evil. They insulted me and I said nothing in return. Thank you, God, for the strength that you gave me not to be overcome by evil. And then he says this, but overcome evil with good. What does that mean? How do we overcome evil with good? Again, the context tells us, doesn't it? Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. When someone persecutes you and you bless them in return, you're overcoming evil with good. Verse 16, live in harmony. Verse 18, live peaceably with all. Verse 20, feed and give drink to your enemy. That's how you overcome evil. With good. When you retaliate, you are being overcome by evil. When you do good to those who do bad to you, you overcome evil with good. It's pretty simple, isn't it? But it's hard to live out. The only way we can live this out is by the strength of the Spirit and by the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's what I want us to leave with. And I know it's not good grammar, but but it's good theology. Respond kind. Respond kind. Those two words have been echoing in my mind all week long. Respond kind. Respond kind. Not in kind. Respond kind, not in kind. Don't respond what they gave to you. Don't give them back what they gave to you. I know the world says fight fire with fire, but Jesus says fight fire with love. And love looks like Service. Respond kind, not in kind. Again, that doesn't mean you don't have boundaries. That doesn't mean you don't speak truth. Paul was a a person who, I mean, he got right with it sometimes, didn't he? And he spoke the truth. And he had boundaries. and, And he knew that love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But he also knew that love responds kind, not in kind. But church, the only way we can live this out is to realize that we, You and me, we, we are the people whom God loved and served while we were yet his enemies. Do we understand that? That that's what Jesus is calling us to do because that's what Jesus did for us. It's by the mercies of God that we present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. We say, because Jesus loved me and served me and gave his life for me while I was his enemy. Therefore, on that basis, not because I hope to be good enough to make my way to heaven. No, but because while I was still an enemy, Jesus died for me. On that basis, I offer up my life to be a person who responds kind and not in kind. We have to grasp the gospel that you were an enemy condemned to death, but Jesus loved you and served you anyway and brought you from death to life. And since he's done that for you, he calls us to go out into the world and in the name of Jesus Christ, love and serve the people who are like us, unlovable, unkind, unloving to go out there and to love and serve those who hate us by the strength of the Spirit and by the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that hasn't yet responded to that gospel invitation to give their life to Jesus, to say because I know what Jesus has done for me, I want to give my life for him. I want to be buried with him and be raised up to walk in newness of life. Or maybe you just need to get back on that path. We all get off sometimes, don't we? We stray. We listen to the world that says, fight fire with fire, respond in kind. Somebody insults you, insult them. Somebody hits you, hit them back harder. That's not the way of Jesus. And sometimes we need to be reminded and we need to get back on track. And we need to be the kind of people who live out love in a way that's visible. And we do it in the name of the Lord. If we can pray with you, or help you, encourage you, we are here for you. Won't you come forward as we stand and sing?